wants to change the truth, if somebody wants to deny the truth, the truth uh, is something that, that can be offensive to them. I discovered this this week. I watched a documentary. I think I knew that the truth could be offensive, uh, and we'll get into that in, in a minute, but, but this confirmed it. I watched this documentary of somebody who I, don't, I won't mention his name. I don't want to endorse him because I don't know him, but it was a, a documentary that is trying to define what a woman is. It's kind of an interesting documentary. Some of you may have seen it. And he goes around and he's trying to ask people on the street and professionals and doctors, what is a woman? And it's, uh, it's frustrating because people are having a hard time giving him a definition of what a woman is. And, it's, and he's, he's trying to show the liberal worldview that, uh, you know, a, a woman is you know, may, maybe not the same thing to different people. Maybe a woman is, is different. The, the sex and gender might not be connected anymore. Maybe they're, they're separate. Maybe gender is a temperament, not a, not a sex anymore. And it's this super frustrating documentary that uh, makes you want to scream. But there was one, one uh, interview in particular where he's interviewing a college professor who is a professor of gender studies. I don't know what university it was. And the professor was getting pretty uncomfortable with this guy because he is, I think, clearly showing his cards as a, a more conservative guy, and, and the professor is more liberal, and the professor's going, why are you asking me what a woman is? Well, I'm, I'm curious. Why, why are you asking me what a woman is? And the, and the interviewer goes, well, I'm just trying to figure out the truth. I'm just trying to understand what the truth is. And he was visibly, the professor was visibly, like, taken back. Whoa, that's offensive to me that you would toss around the word truth like that. That's condescending, and that's offensive the way that you would... The, the way that you would say that. And it was, and, and it even, the interviewer was, was taken back. Like he didn't realize that the truth was going to be the thing that was offensive. And it just made it clear that the truth can be offensive to people. And I'm not just trying to pick on the liberal worldview, the conservative worldview, all, all mankind worldview suppresses the truth tries to change the truth, tries to deny the truth. And that is the problem that I want to address this morning. Okay? Society suppresses the truth and exchange, exchanges the truth about God for a lie. The solution we'll pick up in Ephesians, but to, to diagnose the problem a little bit more, I want to go to Romans, Romans 1.18 through 25. I hope you like the Bible. Are you missing that? I hope you like the Bible because we're going to read some scripture today. Let me just walk you through Romans 1.18. This is a familiar passage for a lot of people. And I just want to develop the problem a little more before we try to solve it. Romans 1.18 starts with, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So man, in our unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. We, we try to hold it down. We try to push back against the truth or try to change the truth. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. The truth about God is plain, is it not? It's relatively obvious for those people that are looking for the truth about God. Some folks, no matter what you say, no matter what they see, they will never believe that there is a God. And, and I'm not necessarily interested in, in them. 
They've already made the decision. That's fine. But there's some of us that when we see a sunset, okay, you see that you see that incredible masterpiece. You see that gold and red color that fades into that blue that's right above it. This only happens for a couple of minutes on a clear day. There's this blue that then fades into black right above you, and you can see stars, and it's all like framed in the horizon, and you just sit back, and I'm like, Henry's heard me say this a million times, like, dude, can you even believe that? What a masterpiece. Do you think that that created itself? No way. It's obvious that somebody designed that. Or when you see a baby born, if you've, if you've watched this, like, what? This is creation, like, continuing right in front of us. How, this is not a clump of cells. This is a person that was knit together in the womb. God exists. It's plain to us. The truth about God is obvious. For those of us that are looking for it. Let me keep going. Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are, and we are, without excuse. Verse 21. For, all the, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So although they knew God, the evidence is there. They know God. They don't honor him. They don't give, give him thanks like they should. And they become futile. We become futile in our thinking. Futility takes over. What is futility? It is thinking that, the li that, that um, life, liberty... And the pursuit of happiness is truth. That that will save us. That that is our salvation. That um, sex and sexuality, defining ourselves by that, is truth. That is futility. That, uh, that money will satisfy us. That is futility. That, that uh, politics is going to save us. That we just had the right person in power. Then things can get back to normal. That the stock market, if we could just get back to new highs, dang it, then we would all be a lot happier, would we not? <laughs> that is futility. I was talking to my brother this morning who was, who was preaching in Salem at the Salem location, and he was like, it's like vapor, this stuff. It comes, and then it disappears. These things that we, that we put our hope in, that's futility. That's foolishness. And our hearts are darkened when we put our hope in that claiming to be wise sorry i'm still reading in romans here claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal god for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things they're worshiping images back in the day back in this day are we still worshiping images on our phones on our laptops on our tvs are we still looking at stuff that's debaucherous? Are, are we still looking at inappropriate things? Are people still looking at porn? Of course, that's, a, that's an obvious one. How about Instagram? When we're scrolling through Instagram, looking at that perfect life, that image of the perfect life that we want so bad. We exchange the glory of God for the perfect life or the perfect piece of property. That's my deal. I'm not on Instagram. But I'm on Zillow quite a bit. 
I don't know if you guys ever do that. Zillow is my Instagram. You want to hear something troubling about me? Yeah, of course. <laughs> There's so much to tell. Uh, sometimes when I look at Zillow, I get hot. <laughs> not, like, not like that. I just get like warm. Like, I got to take my sweatshirt off, man. This piece of property is insane. Like, think of all the things I could do with this piece of property. There's 50 acres, like, right over here that, that I was looking at the other day. It keeps dropping in price, of course, like, like a lot of real estate right now. And I'm thinking, what could you build on that? What could, like, I want to be a farmer. Let's, let's farm something, right? Kurt has it easy. He's farming, killing it. <laughs> Pretty much farms itself, right? <laughs> I'm just a city boy. I'm from Kaiser, so I don't know. I don't know anything. Anyways, images. We're exchanging the glory of God for images. Therefore, God, God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity. God does this sometimes. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the things that we think are going to save us, God will often just let us have them. He just lets us go down that path. He says, oh, that, oh you think that's going to do it for you? Here you go. See, see what that does for you. Oh, a spouse is going gonna, is gonna to save you? There you go. <laughs> oh, oh, chill, oh, a child, that's, you know, that's what's going to do it for you? Then you have a kid, and it's so hard. It's, I'm not trying to be cynical about marriage or, or children, but uh, this also works with things that are sinful, too. Oh, oh you think... Money, sex, and power is going to do it for you? There you go. There you have it. And he allows us. He, he gives us up to our sinful desires until what? We get to the end of it and we say, well, that wasn't that great. Or we end up even worse, rock bottom. And we think, I got nothing now. I thought I had it figured out. Now I got nothing. All I have is hope in God. And then where's God? He's right there at rock bottom waiting for you. I got to let you get here so I can scoop you up because you got nothing left. He gives us up in the, the lust of our heart. Uh-oh, I lost my spot. Gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, which is still happening. All because, what? They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. We... Not just them. We are exchanging the truth about God for a lie. We are suppressing the truth. And Paul's going to help us do the opposite. Paul, in Ephesians, is declaring truth. The truth. The unchanging, the established truth. Chapters 1 through 3, it's been painful to some of you, but we've been slowly working our way through truth. He's declaring truth. He's laying it out for us. Now we're just edging into to chapter 4. This is, we're on verse 1, and that's about as far as I'm going to make it today. It's verse 1. Paul is declaring the truth, and he's saying, if this is true, walk in it. That's what chapters 4, 5, and 6 in Ephesians are, right? We got, we got three chapters behind us. We got three chapters in front of us. He's saying, I'm declaring that this is truth. Now walk in it. Live like it. Do something about it. So let's read the passage 
where we're in today. Uh, This is 4 verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling in which you were called. He's declaring truth, or he declared truth. And, and simply put, right, uh, to summarize all of, all of chapters 1 through 3, it's we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, with the love in which he loved us, made us alive together with him. It's by grace we are saved. That's, in essence, the truth. It was so bad that we had to die, but we are so loved that he was glad to die for us. This is the truth. And Paul is connecting that truth with walking in it. He connects it with the word therefore. Okay, this is the, these, are the first two, these are the first two words of, of chapter 4. I therefore. Therefore can also be said this way. For this reason or as a result of. So Paul is saying, I therefore, I because of the truth, for that reason, for this reason, as a result of the truth, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you were called. So he's connecting truth with how we live. He's connecting doctrine with action. He's connecting believing with becoming a Christian with the word therefore. They cannot be separated. Okay, the liberal worldview often will, will, will talk about grace. It's only grace. There's, there's, there's no condemnation or, 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 or justice. It's, it's only grace. The, the conservative worldview sometimes does the opposite and says it's all about how you live. You've got to, you've got to live, and, and, and it's all about condemnation. If you don't live right, it, it, there's, there's very little grace. It's, it's all about how you live. Paul is connecting these two things. What you believe will determine what you become. The world is telling us to believe life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is our calling, is truth. And you will become foolish and your hearts will be darkened if you believe that. Paul is telling us the gospel is truth. Let's move on from therefore. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, So he's saying, I'm not just talking here. I'm actually walking. I'm I'm, smoking what I'm selling here. I'm I'm, uh, I'm, I'm buying what I'm selling. I'm I'm trying to walk the walk here. I'm trying to tell you, like, I am suffering, and I am going to die for this truth and, and connecting the truth to how we live. He is trustworthy, and he is credible because of this. He is urging us to walk. And you can almost hear the chains rattling because he's a a prisoner. He's in a cell, and and I'm sure he's pacing around like I do, like when you're trying to write something, like what am I supposed to say about this? If Paul is pacing around the cell, you can hear these chains rattling behind him. This makes him trustworthy. This makes him credible in this. And he's connecting our walk with the truth. Paul is saying, 
If you believe this internal message of of the doctrine that I just laid out for you, there should be an external working out in your life. That is the walk. What is a walk? I urge you to walk. Walk is, uh, it's a movement. It's motion. It's a direction. The opposite of a walk would be standing still. If you believe this truth, it should compel you to move. It should compel you to walk. And not just walk, but walk in a manner that is worthy. What does worthy mean? Worthy means if you believe in this truth that this incredible God gave everything for us to save us, you need to walk and you need to live in a manner worthy of that God who saved you and live in a manner worthy of the God that we serve now as a result of what we've been saved from. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says, do not dishonor the good cause. Let not your lives bring disgrace upon Christ. If you are called Christians, be Christians. Walk like Christians. Live like Christians. Putting away your former ignorance and being holy in our conduct. This is from 1 Peter 1.14. It says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Walk worthy. Walk holy. The idea of, of walking, if I go back to that for a second, that, like that, this is a metaphor that he's using on purpose. What is, what is walking worthy look like? What's, what's the speed of that like? See, some of us don't understand walk. Some of us shuffle. Not like the truffle shuffle. If any of you know Goonies, that's, that's something different that we won't get into. But a shuffle, like you can't, like it's imperceptible. Like there might be some movement there, but it's hard to tell. There needs to be a walk, a, a clear step in your life of change. If this is truth, to the degree that you believe, you will become, right? So if, you're, if there is no perceptible movement, if there's no perceptible walk, do you believe? Does it matter to you? Is it important to you? So we can't be shuffling, but we also can't be trying to sprint and trying to run. If you sprint, if you run too fast, you will probably collapse from heat exhaustion and have an ambulance have to pick you up in the middle of a run and take you to the hospital. Does that sound kind of specific? Like maybe that happened to me? Uh, So my brother, quick story, uh, my brother, not Matt, uh, because he doesn't run. Uh, uh, I think he... 
he's maybe run to the end of his driveway one time, but Dave, a different brother, ran a couple marathons, and he was like, hey, we should do a run together, and I was like, all right, that was like mid-20s or something, he's like, let's do the Shamrock Run, which is up in Portland, and it's a 15K, um, fairly long run for those of us who don't run, so uh, I show up to the run with a beanie, like a sock hat on, and a sweatshirt, because it's kind of chilly out, but it's sunny, and he says to me, hey, uh, you probably should take off the hat and the sweatshirt. You're going to get too hot. And I said, no, nah, I'll be fine. Thanks. And he says, take off the hat and the sweatshirt. You're going to get too hot. And I said, uh, no, I'm fine. In fact, I'm going to keep it on the whole time now, just because you said that. <laughs> I already gave you the ending, I think, so this isn't all that interesting. But uh, anyways, we start the race, bang, and I take off like, a rocket. Okay, I don't know if I was trying to win the race or what, but I am running as fast as I possibly can. I don't stop for water because <laughs> that's going to slow me down. <laughs> and this is in Portland. You go up the side of Terwilliger. I don't know if you know by OHSU. It's this really steep hill. And then at the top, it's halfway. Then you come back down the hill. So I'm running way too fast. I get to the top and I am gassed, like so gassed. And, uh, and so I get to the top, and I'm like, well, now it's all downhill from here. It's no big deal. Turns out it still takes some effort to get down the hill, too. So the last thing I remember, <laughs> okay, is, <laughs> is as I'm running, or shuffling probably at that point, right? <laughs> I'm breathing so hard that when, as people are passing me, they're like looking like, what's this guy's deal? I'm going like, <gasps> you know. And somebody snaps a picture, my brother's ex, snaps a picture as I'm collapsing. Like I'm going down and I'm yellow, like super yellow. I don't know what was going on with that, but I collapsed. And then I guess I got up and shuffled a little further. I was 100 yards to the end of the run. I, I almost made it. And then, I, and then I collapsed for good. And then they came and scooped me up and, and took me to the hospital. It took me weeks to come back from that. Like I, some would say I'm still not quite right, but I think I cooked, I cooked a little bit of the, uh, the brain cells there with that stupid hat that I would not take off. So maybe, what's the moral here? Uh, I forget what we were talking about, but maybe you should listen to your older brother who's run a marathon and not be a moron and try to run a race with a hat and a sweatshirt on. But also, you shouldn't sprint in your walk. <laughs> Try to get back to a message here. It's, it's a walk on purpose. One step at a time. Don't be a hero. You don't have to change your life overnight. You don't have to do it all. It's not about you, right? You're not saved by your works. You're saved for works. Do you remember that from Ephesians 2.10 or 2.8? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by our works. This is the confusion here. That's a lie. That's not the truth. That's suppressing the truth. We are, we are saved for good works. First comes doctrine. First comes the understanding. First comes the gospel. We, we receive the gospel. Then we walk like it. We believe the truth and then walk in it. 
That is the way that this works. It's, it's progressive. This is the idea of progressive sanctification. These things happen slowly over time where we're killing sin in our life and we're taking on, taking on better decisions, better actions, better thoughts, some that are righteous and holy. We are walking worthy of the calling in which we have been called. Let's talk about calling versus the call. There's two different things there. The calling is general. The calling is broad. The calling is for everyone. Everyone can hear the calling. The life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. This is the calling. This is what Paul wrote about in the first three chapters. Almost everybody has heard this. We preach the calling every week. People write about it, sing about it, disagree with the calling. The calling is for everyone, but not everyone is called. Only some are called. Only some have been called to believe. The call is not something that you can make happen, right? Like you don't call yourself. That's dumb. You can't do that. When someone says uh, they're called to be a teacher, they, they don't say, I'm going to start my call as a teacher. I'm going to initiate a call to be a social worker. That doesn't make any sense. It's like the call happens to you. It's beyond you. It's outside of you. It's, it's, uh, it's bigger than you. I am called. I, I am compelled. It is my destiny, whatever. It is my mission is to be called to this particular line of work or something. It's the same for this call. You can't call yourself. God initiates the call. You hear the calling, but if you care about it, it's because God has worked in you and has compelled you to be called. The calling is general. The call is specific. The calling is for everyone. The call is just for you. There's particulars. There's specifics with the call in your life. What does that look like? What kind of things should you be doing? What kind of decisions should you be making? What kind of actions should you be taking? These are the things that we need to work out. But you first have to understand that God, like we just read in Ephesians 2.8, He prepared the good works for you ahead of time. He has called you to this if you believe. He initiates the call in your life. He chooses truth for you. He adopts you into the understanding of the truth. He predestined you for truth, for it to make sense to you, for you to desire it, and for you to want it. So, so what is it? What is it to be called if it's so particular? Like these are step by step. What do we do? How do we live a, how do we live a walk that's worthy all of the rest of Ephesians is about this. It's living like we're Christians because we're called Christians. There's, there's so many particulars in the rest of Ephesians. There's sexual immorality, there's drunkenness, there's greed, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's how to have a good marriage, how to be a good parent. Like it's an endless list that will crush you if you take it all on. Right? But what did I say? This is a walk 
This is a step-by-step process that we work out for the rest of our lives and for at least the next six months as we try to finish the book of Ephesians. I hate to, like, I hate to leave you with nothing, right? Like, well, if it's so particular, give us a particular. So let's just do one. We've got 26 minutes so far. I've got like five minutes left. The first three words of verse 2, which isn't going to be up there, I don't think. Walk in a manner worthy of calling to which you have been called with all humility. Let's just take that one. Humility. He rattles off a bunch. We'll get to that next week. Humility. Let's just start there. If you are called, if you are a called Christian, humility means everything. Humility is the quintessential Christian characteristic, isn't it? If you do a million good things, but you're a prideful, arrogant jerk, does it mean anything? Martin Lloyd-Jones says humility is the chiefest, which I didn't know was a word, chiefest of the Christian characteristics. Humility means everything, and that is what Paul starts with, not by accident. This is This is scripture. This is God-inspired scripture. He starts with humility. We should start with humility. We should take a step of humility. So what does that look like? I read this book. This is actually troubling. Someone gave me a book on humility, which is always concerning when someone gives you a book on humility. You like read between the lines. Okay, I I can see what you're saying. All right, cool. Uh, I forget who wrote it, C.J. Mahaney. Maybe I forget. But in that, I remember one quote, he says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Which is kind of cute, you know? Like, oh, let's see what you did there. And there's some truth to that, for sure. Like a ton of truth. We put too much emphasis on us. But I also want to disagree with that a little bit. Thinking less of yourself can actually be helpful. Okay? Because the things that we're most proud of, you think about what, what are you most proud of? My, my accomplishments. I puff my chest up when I think about the things that I'm good at. My whatever, business. My, uh, my family. My political party. My nation. My knowledge. My good works. Think about all those things that we're proud of. Those are the things that we exchange the truth about God for. Those, the things that we are most proud of are the things that we put our hope in. Did you know that? We suppress the truth and we believe, no, these things are where I'm saving myself. This is where I've been successful. This is where I put my hope in. And the way that you know that is when it all goes away. And then you think, ah, what the heck? I had everything. Everything was going so great. My marriage fell apart. My business fell apart. My whatever, dog ran away. Like, things are, things are tragic. We need humility in the areas of success in our life. We need to humble ourselves and repent of how we suppress the truth and exchange the truth about God for a lie. That's how we take a step here in our walk that is worthy. Humbling ourselves and repenting of the areas that we're so proud of. Taking ourselves down a peg or two. 
And then we think of, we don't wallow in that, but we think of who? The most humble one of all time. We think of Jesus. And I can't help but think of Philippians 2 when I think of humility and you think of the greatest example of all time. Even though he was God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. And in humility, considered others more significant than himself. Are we more significant than Jesus? No. Can you believe that he would consider us more significant than himself? He humbles himself to even death on a cross. This is the kind of incredible humility that we are supposed to emulate. This is, the, this is the crazy amount of humility that we are to now take a step into. Can we be as humble as Jesus? No. But could we consider others more significant than ourselves? Yes. And we should do so. Everyone. Everyone that you come into contact with, whether you like them, whether they irritate you, whether you, they think the same things as you, or whether they don't. Consider others more significant than yourselves. That's how we could humble ourselves like Jesus did. Let's, let's end there. Listen, what are you called to? Are you called to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? That's a lie. And you, and you will be sad if you believe a lie. You, you will be a fool whose heart is darkened if you believe a lie. You believe life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that, that culture is, is communicating to us? Or do you believe the actual truth, the truth about God that is so plain and that is so obvious? If it's true, if you believe it, then walk like it. Take a step and, and show some movement. Let's start with humility, humility, and then let's continue this for the rest of our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for uh, truth, established truth, truth that's bigger than ourselves, truth that we might not even like it sometimes, but that doesn't make it untrue. We thank you for the truth that Paul is preaching to us through, through chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we ask for the strength that comes from your Holy Spirit that you give us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we've been called. We need strength to do that. We need courage to do that. We need motivation to do that. I pray that our belief in the truth would grow so that our lives could reflect that and we would walk in that. I pray against the calling of the world that is so pervasive in all of our lives. I pray that we would be humbled to, uh, to repent of how we suppress the truth and exchange the truth about God for a lie. I pray that we could resist that. We could, be, we could be killing the sin in our life in that way. That we would repent of that and that you would bless us with the ability to take steps in our walk that are worthy. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.